You're listening to a From the Table episode of the St. Benedict's Table podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. For our 2020 Lenten series, we were faced with the challenge of the COVID-19 pandemic. The first two sessions we were able to gather in the chapel at All Saints Church, and then came the suspension of all public gatherings within the church building, and so we went to alternate models for the next three sessions. For this fifth and final episode, I sat down with John Bodicher and Lynn Stevens, all of us carefully observing the protocols of physical distancing, and we had a conversation about their life together. John Bodicher is a retired professor of religious studies from the University of Winnipeg, and recently the author of 10 Steps on Freedom Road. Lynn Stevens is a retired United Church of Canada minister. Hers was what is called a late vocation, entering her theological studies after her children were grown. We began by talking about how they met and how it all unfolded. Tell me some, a bit, bit of your story together. It was before I did much of anything to become clergy person. And uh, someone suggested to me that um, John was doing a uh, summer class. Myself and about five other women were a part of some group a gathering of about, yeah, about six women, and we were sharing life and uh, relationships with God. Yeah. And uh, so that summer, I uh, chose to do what she suggested and and uh, went to the class that John was doing. And... Uh, you were moving toward ministry, yeah. A challenge? Ah, I don't know. Anyway, it uh, it was it was after Gary died, you know. I mean, yeah. this was so I did, and I managed to pass the course. <laughs> what was the course, John? It was a religion in Canada. It was the introductory course. Okay. I uh, gave an assignment that uh, called for students to go somewhere where they thought there was a ritual, and to observe it and then tell what it was all about, what it meant to the people who were doing it. And uh, Lynn chose the annual conference of Manitoba in northwestern Ontario of the United Church of Canada. She observed that ritual and reported on it. Okay. And, I mean, that was the, in a way, at the end of the process, eh? Because we finished the class study and you and I went off into my own world. We didn't see each other again for quite a while. Yeah. And then I went to uh, St. Andrews. In Saskatoon? Yeah. And then I came back to Winnipeg and uh, spent some time with this fellow here. Well, I uh, try to keep track of former students. And uh, I knew that uh, Lynn had gone off to theological school, 
and she was a friend of a young woman who I had known in the congregation where I was worshiping right then. So I had coffee with that young woman and I asked her how Lynn was doing and she said, well, Lynn's back in town for the summer and I said, oh, I should get in touch with her. And uh, so she sort of, well, maybe that would be, I might be able to find her phone number. So <laughs> she checked it out and uh, she found the phone number and uh, I was single then, had been for not very long and I had vowed never again because that was the second marriage to go down. So if marriage is a vocation, it took me a long time to figure it out. <laughs> I was a slow learner. And I was petrified when we started getting together. So the United Church always has this annual meeting, right? And it was in Westminster United Church. And Tracy was living uh, in an apartment down the street. It wasn't very far. And the, the, the event ended. It was the Sunday and it was all over. And I was walking with uh, another woman and uh, John came out of the door at the same time as she and I were walking. And he walked with us for, uh, I don't know, five minutes or something. And then he took off to get into his, you, you must have been getting into a car, right? It's possible. I'm pretty sure. Well, you walked past Tracy's where she was staying. And I, I'm sure I said a bad word to myself <laughs> when I saw him going as fast and I wished that she had stayed behind. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it was fine. It was all well. And then one day John phoned and Tracy answered the phone and she said, Does what, my mother... Yes, she said, in what capacity, in do, what you capacity? Know, yeah. do you know my mother? <laughs> She was very protective somehow. Yes, yes. But he's her best friend. <laughs> we got past that one. So. Yeah, yeah. So then John asked me... You were preaching. I was, yes. At Broadway, what's yes. now Broadway Disciples. And then that day I was going for lunch with some people. That's why I didn't know that you were there okay. until I saw you there. All right. Yeah. And but I we decided we would meet after, and we went for uh, a bike ride. We each had bikes, and uh, we went to City Park, and sat in a bench, and we must have been on the bench for about two hours, talking. <laughs> we ended up ordering pizza, and yes, we went back we went to Tracy's. Went on into the evening, and that was sort of it. So then you hit this point after your theological studies and you've been called into, into active ministry and I guess what we typically call a late vocation. Yes, for um, sure. And uh, began active ministry and at about the same time, John, you were in the process of retiring from your work at the University of Winnipeg. What I, was that like? I, I taught for the first year that Lynn was in ministry in Clandeboy in Winnipeg Beach. And then the uh, university made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And uh, I thought, hey, why not? This is a long drive. I don't, I'm not enjoying the commute. Let's uh, see how it goes. So I took the offer and uh, 
became a preacher's wife. That was that was fun. Well, and John, I would I don't think I would have survived in in as good a way if I hadn't had John. And I mean, I don't have the mind that he has. To to be with somebody who knows as much as he knows and has read as much as he's read and is able to share information that I didn't know. I mean, he was the one who could easily uh, do a, a study group with people and have them all quite enthused and excited and whatnot. And the same with the teenagers. John had a gift with uh, the boys. Well, I think the other thing is that theological college can't possibly prepare you for the realities of congregational life. You know, they're just... Because it is, it's a bit of a, of a living organism, a congregation is, and you can only learn it by being in it. But if you're in it, it's sometimes hard to see the forest for the trees. And so to have John as, a, as another voice and perspective who has worked in a whole lot of different contexts. I, I, I mean, as a young, when I was first ordained, I, I was under the wing of a, of a senior priest supervisor. Same thing, like I would have drowned if I didn't have somebody else there kind of saying, nah, you know, you, you sort of, you almost had a, not only your, your, your clergy spouse in the house, but a bit of a, of a set of mentoring eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was entering into that relationship was sheer terror for me. The relationship with me? Yeah. I went off. I made an excuse to go off to Michigan to visit some cousins. Left Lynn in our apartment. And I drove, the first day I drove as far as, what's the place in Wisconsin? It's on the, on the shore, Superior. Drove as far as Superior. Checked into a motel, walked down to the beach, walked along the beach, and I sat, I must have sat and cried for about two hours. Huh. I thought I was having a breakdown, and I thought, well, okay, if I am, I am. I just, it was just overwhelming to the, the, the terror of having been unsuccessful in two committed relationships, and now on the verge of a third, just seemed too much. Anyway, we had, we had uh, 11 good years. Uh, in ministry and then stayed on Winnipeg Beach where we had come to live for a couple of years and uh, then we began our common retirement after that after two years it took us two years transition I think and then but we did it because you don't belong anymore yeah we moved yeah you, I mean you don't belong because you don't really want to go to church where you were the minister. Not a good thing to do. No. 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 It's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, the theologian uh, Belden Lane, in a, it's in a piece from originally from the Christian century years ago called Stalking the Snow Leopard, but he, he makes a, a really important distinction between work and job. And he would, he would say work is, is the thing that you are. You know, what's your work? And for him, it was teaching. 
both in the classroom but also in the written word. He really understood himself to be a teacher and, and he loved to, to watch people's faces come alive with the realization when the penny dropped. I mean, yes. that was his work. Yes. His job was as a tenured university professor, and it brought a whole lot of things that weren't particularly life-giving, like committee meetings and <laughs> faculty responsibilities and even marking stacks of first-year papers. Yes. But... Having that job made space for his work. Yes. And he would suggest, of course, they don't always overlap. No. That not everybody's paying job actually reflects their their call, their work, their passion. Yes. I, I often thought how amazing it is to get paid for doing something that I love doing. Yeah. I do this for free. <laughs> <laughs> Except you would have had... Hard time getting lunch. Had a hard time paying the bills. Yeah, yeah. So on the on 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 this side of in retirement, what's your work, John? My work is uh, involvement in congregational life has been important to me in retirement. We moved to uh, South Saint Boniface and became active in a United Church congregation in that part of town. And Lynn was uh, very helpful to them in uh, personnel relationship business. And I eventually ended up becoming the chair of the board. I discovered somewhere in teaching that being the chair of something can be a really nice way of helping other people which was a real revelation to me at the time. We took turns being chair of the department, and when my turn came, I thought, oh, no. But it was fun because I could do all this stuff that would help my colleagues do their job better. And I thought, hey, I like doing this. So being chair of the board at, at the Meadowood was really fun, too, because I could help that bunch of lay people listen to each other, come to collective decisions, and take charge of the life of the congregation. And that's fairly rare, actually. Lay-run congregations, even in churches with a Reformed tradition, which should, by all rights, have definitely lay-led congregations, that's rare. And it was a good thing to see. So that was a vocation, and then we moved downtown. And uh, it took a little while to find a vocation there. Uh, I didn't think we had one. We didn't. We didn't have one for a while, and uh, that's why we finally, for me, that was. Not, it wasn't the same reasons necessarily for Lynn, but for me, it was why I was glad to settle at St. Ben's, because I felt my vocation was there. That. And it's kind of hard to define, but I think the best word is I had a chance to be an elder. I wasn't going to be expected to run anything or to make any of the big decisions. There were other people doing that just fine. But I was able to encourage and sometimes help people hear or see things. And that was great. I just, it's been that way anyway. I felt like my vocation is to be there in that congregation. 
Oh, that's lovely. What about you, Len, on the other side of your retirement from ministry? What's, uh, what, what, what gives you life? What do you feel, you know, brings you alive in that way? What about your quilting? Well, that kind of, that kind of, I mean. <laughs> the quilting goes on. <laughs> um, um, I either have uh, fun or frustration <laughs> because sometimes you don't do it right or you don't do something right as you're sewing or whatever. But, um, and then you have to do it all over again. <laughs> you have to do some things again. But um, I think there are, uh, some ways this reminds me of my father and my mother. My mother was what I would call a right brain Christian. Uh, when she talked about ordinary things, she was just right into this world and this culture. And, but she was a musician. And it was with her music that she lived out her faith. So when she was very old, in her late 90s, we would go to visit. She would say things to me like, sometimes I think this is just a dream and I'm going to wake up from it one of these days. So then we would start to think, we would start to sing. I'd sing a, one of the hymns that we grew up with, or especially Welsh hymns, but good Methodist hymns too. And as soon as I started to sing, she would shift into her right brain here and be right there. And uh, that was when she was like very old. Uh, I grew up with a father and a religious surrounding that thought and talked vocation constantly. And that's formed me. That was not the case for Lynn. She doesn't think vocation. She lives it. And I think there's a lot of people like Lynn and like my mother, a lot of other folks, especially who live through their art, for whom it's just a joy in doing what they're doing. And uh, I don't think Lynn stops to think a little bit a, a bit about, oh, what does God want me to do today? She just goes to the table and starts to put fabric together. Whereas I'm a good left brain Christian. <laughs> I'm always thinking about it. Sometimes that's quite a pain in the you-know-what. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, the idea of vocation or calling in retirement, I think, is a, is a really important one. I know lots of people who and so anticipate being able to retire, particularly if they've been in a job that they don't that doesn't give them life, and uh, and then they retire and and after a year of alphabetizing the spices and doing all the busy things, they kind of go, well, what's what's the point now? And you see people kind of get into trouble because they don't know what the point is and so they spend maybe too much time at the, at the Legion or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen that time and again. I think the culture gives us a message that the point of being retired is to be entertained. And the more money you have, of course, to go into retirement, the higher the quality of your entertainment. I think that's a really deadly lie. That's going to eat people's souls if they follow that. 
I think that that's actually a brilliant little piece of insight. So what is the point of retirement? If it's not to be entertained, in your experience, what's the point? The point of my retirement was to free up some University of Winnipeg money to hire younger teachers. Uh, that was the economic point. I didn't, for me, not much changed, except the context of of the people around me, instead of uh, undergraduate students and colleagues at the university, I spent my time with uh, members of two congregations and their pastor and the young people in those congregations and we had a little fun politically organizing too. You probably don't need to get into that. We had, we had a lot of fun out in Gimli that time. So it was just... <clears throat> doing the same stuff in a different context. The young people like that were having their, what's it called? Confirmation. Confirmation. I mean, he was a gift to them, far better than me. For me, it was harder work to figure out this. And even to do the service on Sunday, there were times when I was ready to, could you please do this, <laughs> you know? But, and instead of him doing it for me, it was conversation that said, come on now, you know how to do this. I mean, it was a challenge for me to think I could do what I actually did that I wouldn't have been able to do without John. I think if I'd have gone somewhere else and had been alone, I think I would have fallen apart. That discovery of... Uh how rewarding it could be to be a, a department chair and help your colleagues do their work and see the rejoice with them in the results. That really helped me make the transition to retirement because then I could see that same thing happening. I could anticipate that happening in working with other groups of people church boards and stuff like that. I did a lot of work with conference and presbytery. And it also sounds to me like the terror and tears on the shores of Superior have long been left behind. And that this has indeed been a very good thing for both of you. It's uh, made me a, a different and far better person. And that's grand. Yes. Thank you both. This has been uh, this has been a lovely way to spend a part of a morning in these very curious times we're in. Properly socially distanced or physically <laughs> yes. distanced, you know, yes. but it but still so good to actually sit down and yes. have a conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For a little more information or for links to our website, please consult the show notes. Thanks for listening.